Welcome to the UserWise podcast, the podcast about usability risk reduction in medical devices. My name is Alyssa Christasia, and I'm going to be your host for today. And I'm Shannon Clark, CEO of UserWise. And today we're going to talk about what we do at UserWise, a human factors engineering consultancy located in San Jose, California. So let's start off with a little bit about ourselves. I'm currently working as human factors engineer at UserWise, but I got my bachelor's and master's degrees in biomedical engineering from Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. I have some experience working with medical devices from an internship I had with Carl Schwartz and my master's project with Medtronic. However, I didn't have any human factors engineering experience until I started at UserWise. Now I work with various clients who make various medical devices and am gaining a large breadth of experience in my current position. Shannon, can you tell me a little bit about your background? Specifically, how you got into the medical device field as it pertains to human factors. Sure. Uh, Yeah, I got my start at Abbott Laboratories in their professional development program. And there I had the really unique and special opportunity to work for Ed Israelski, one of the thought leaders in human factors engineering for medical devices. So uh, he sort of showed me the ropes and also introduced me to the concept of standards committees. Uh, where he is the co-convener of the joint working group to iterate the IEC 62366 International Human Factors Standard. So I became heavily interested in swaying both regulations and international standards related to human factors for medical devices and set out on my journey to become an expert in human factors. So my first stop was Abbott Medical Optics and Abbott Diabetes Care, where I worked in different human factors related capacities, both in in post-market surveillance and also in more traditional usability testing and human factors strategy. Uh, So from there, I moved on to Intuitive Surgical, where I contributed to the design and development of the DaVinci XI Surgical robot accessories and instruments, as well as the DaVinci SP robot. So after going through a couple of human factor cycles, early stage development, formative testing, summative testing, submission to the FDA, uh, and also assistance with post-market issues, uh, I decided to set out on my own and found UserWise. Wow, that's great. So can you tell me a little bit about how you decided to form UserWise and what the the basis of UserWise would be based on the experience you had at Abbott and Intuitive Surgical. Yeah, definitely. I just saw such a growing need because at the time they had just recently started forming the human factors group at the FDA. They had just started enforcing human factors. Uh, Soon after, they issued the initial draft guidance for human factors in 2011 that they made official in 2016. And it was around that time that startups around the Bay Area started to reach out to me and ask for help. They were desperate for help to understand these new requirements from the FDA and bring their products to market. So... One day I went to the Wilson Sonsini Medical Device Conference, which is an annual conference in San Francisco. And by the end of the day, I had five clients. <laughs> I was really surprised. So I just sort of fell into this space of consulting 
And from there, I sort of built the business and helped uh, many different companies uh, who needed assistance with human factors. My uh, first major client was Abbott Laboratories, and we uh, did their program for the Alinity Diagnostic Systems. Um, so from there, we were able to really establish ourselves as uh, a leading consultancy on the West Coast. So for those who don't know, UserWise is almost six years old. Uh, we're going to be six years old this year. So Shannon, what are some of the things that you're really proud of your company for accomplishing in those almost six years? Hmm, proud of UserWise accomplishing. Uh, well, we've brought hundreds of different products through the human factors process in one capacity or another. I suppose what I'm most proud of is education. Um, and more specifically, I've had this opportunity to educate dozens of new human factors engineers in how to conduct human factors programs. So I'm really excited to see people like Alyssa <laughs> learn and grow through this experience of consulting and uh, just become one of the best human factors engineers, you know, in the United States, if not the world. <laughs> so it's really cool to sort of have this opportunity to work with a large variety of people, many of whom are experienced uh, in clinical engineering, R&D engineering, but perhaps are a little bit more new to human factors engineering and uh, just sharing my knowledge over over my career with, with others. So I guess that's what I'm most proud of, just the people at UserWise and watching them learn and grow over time as they work on different projects. And then also, I think UserWise has contributed a lot in conducting workshops, in thought leadership, presenting at various conferences, and also conducting research on behalf of the FDA through our Training Decay Grant. We're really striving to make medical devices safer on a really large scale and helping not only companies navigate the human factors process, but also helping the FDA and different entities around the world um, establish their their uh, regulations and guidance surrounding human factors in a way that is both spurring innovation and allowing companies to operate uh, in an agile way, but also ensuring that medical devices are meeting a baseline level of safety. Yeah, and I think that the work that we're doing with human factors is really important, and I'm really glad that I am able to learn how to be a human factors engineer and um, increase my experience with medical devices. But for those who might not know what human factors is, could you explain what human factors is and how human factors pertains to medical devices? Yeah, definitely. So I'll just reference the 2016 FDA guidance for human factors. Uh, the FDA defines human factors to be the application of knowledge about human behaviors, abilities, and limitations, so really understanding humans, to the design of medical devices, including mechanical and software-driven user interfaces, so the widget itself, the medical device, as well as user documentation, so the instructions for use, and user training to enhance or improve over time and demonstrate safe and effective use. So I really like the FDA's definition because they basically encapsulate the entire human factors process within their own definition. 
So it's basically having knowledge about who humans are and how they might interact with medical products to the design of medical devices. And they want to highlight that when they talk about a medical device, they're not just talking about the widget, they're talking about the full user experience, the user documentation, the training. And then they want medical device manufacturers to enhance that experience over time by doing iterative formative evaluations. And then they need manufacturers to really demonstrate safe and effective use at the very end of the process, which we do many times using human factors validation testing. So that sort of sums up what it is UserWise does and also what the process is for medical device development when it comes to human factors. So what you're describing might sound familiar to some people. Um, does human factors have any names or synonyms that people might recognize other than human factors? Yeah, certainly. So human factors engineering is also known as user-centered design. It can also be called usability engineering, user experience design, cognitive engineering, human engineering. It also can be referred to as ergonomics which in Europe, they use the term ergonomics to broadly apply to both cognition and motor interaction, motor skills, uh, while ergonomics in the United States exclusively refers to physical interaction. Uh, so it's just a cultural linguistic difference to be aware of as you pursue this field. Yeah, that's definitely good to know. Um, I wouldn't want to go to Europe and be totally not talking about the same thing because my definition of ergonomics might be different than theirs. Um, and previously you mentioned that human factors is often a requirement by the FDA. Could you kind of explain which types of medical devices are required to have human factors validation by the FDA? Yeah, so the FDA, their charter is to protect the safety of the U.S. population and they're really focused around safety. So human factors validation is a way of, in a way, predicting the future. You bring in an actual end user of your product. Say you're designing a surgical robot. It would be used by a team, including a physician and a sterile support staff, as well as a non-sterile support staff member, like a circulating nurse. And the FDA wants you to bring in this entire team and have them operate on a simulated patient beginning to end. And in this case, we would not have a real patient or even an animal model, but a simulation for them to go through. And we're basically trying to predict the future. How are these people going to interact with this product? Will they interact with it safely and effectively? And so the key question here is, do they commit any errors that could compromise patient care in a significant way? So interestingly, the FDA requires human factors validation for any product where if it could be used incorrectly or if steps could be skipped, if those use errors could lead to significant harm or serious harm to patients or even users, then human factors validation would be required. Now, interestingly, if you're designing a medical product where if it is not used at all, or if it's used incorrectly, it would not lead to any harm to patients or users. Uh, in some ways, you're not required to follow their guidance for human factors with respect to human factors validation testing. You may have reduced requirements related to human factors. And this really reflects the FDA's position that they're trying to protect, protect safety. So if there's no safety issue, 
then they're not as focused on that issue. Yeah, so you kind of talked about a surgical robot and the team that would revolve around that. Can you think of a more simple medical device that perhaps wouldn't require human factors uh, validation as an example? Yeah, let's take examples related to sleep. You can have your phone track your sleep at night or have a wearable sensor that tracks sleep and then it tells you about your sleep quality. If it diagnoses you incorrectly or provides results that are off, um, I can't personally imagine significant harm that could ensue to the patient. Um, Now, certainly as a company, you're spreading misinformation, which is a liability from a legal standpoint. But with respect to the FDA, they're their resources are limited and they really want to focus on their big ticket items for protecting the U.S. population. So in contrast, if your product is going to diagnose a disease during the night and then when you wake up, you're going to find out whether you have that disease or not, that is a different story because if you misdiagnose a patient that could actually start leading to harm and you would need human factors validation data to prove that you're not going to be causing harm. So Shannon, this might be confusing to some people. You talked about um, the example with the surgical robot and sort of testing it with the end users. Could you think of an example, either theoretical or based on your experience, where usability testing or human factors engineering Um, was required for a product to make sure that the end user, say the doctor or the nurse, was able to use the device correctly, that if that testing hadn't been performed, you wouldn't have discovered that they were unable to use the device in the way that it was intended? Definitely. Let's take an example where a product is used by lay people. Let's say individuals with rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's disease. In this case, you could take Humira as an example where it is a cylindrical auto-injector with a cap on either side and the user needs to remove one cap to reveal the button and another cap to reveal the business side of the auto-injector where the needle comes out. So users are expected to clean their skin and then apply the auto-injector to their skin and then activate the auto-injector and inject the fluid. With this type of a product, there's many ways to misinterpret it or use it incorrectly. Just to present two examples, for one, they might lift up the auto-injector earlier than the 10-second duration. Everyone watches Star Trek, and you know that those injectors immediately administer the medication. You can just lift it right off as soon as you hear a sound. And with that mental model, users are predisposed to lifting up auto-injectors sooner than the 10-second hold period specified in the instructions. Another use error could be misinterpreting which side of the auto-injector is the business end. So what we did see from time to time was users injecting upside down and thinking that the button end had the needle in it and as a result, injecting their, their thumb as they were trying to push down the button. So these critical use errors could seriously compromise patient care and even injure the patients. Uh, in some cases, users could 
uh, fail to administer the full injection and never even know it. So these types of users are significantly concerning to the Food and Drug Administration. And uh, the usability engineering process is a great tool to uncover these use errors really early on. Even, even as the company is designing the housing for the auto-injector, they don't even need a fully produced auto-injector. They can still uncover use problems like this one in usability testing and even through expert review by human factors engineers. Wow, human factors is a pretty important consideration for the design of the device. Could you kind of talk about what types of processes uh, user-wise does to fulfill that human factors requirement by the FDA or other regulatory bodies? Yeah, uh, so I touched on a couple tools in our toolbox so far. Uh, we have early stage usability testing with rough prototypes. Uh, that's called formative usability testing. You can also conduct formative usability testing once you have a higher fidelity prototype and perhaps at that phase you're developing your packaging or instructions for use and you want to make sure that those are safe and usable and or your training programs uh, even after your product is developed. Formative testing is used iteratively to improve the product and its instructions and its training over time. And then at the very end of the process, you have human factors validation testing, also known as summative testing, where you don't plan to make any further changes to your product, and the purpose of the testing is to demonstrate safety and efficacy. Those are the two types of usability testing that we spend most of our time doing. Uh, you can also conduct comparative usability testing. You can show pictures of concepts to users. You can perform cognitive walkthroughs to uncover user needs and also user perceptions of a device concept. Uh, there's many different usability testing related tools. Another cornerstone of human factors is the usability risk analysis. And what this thing has been called has evolved a lot over time. These days it's being referred to as a use related risk analysis. Uh, when I first started, it was called a use FMEA by many to make it more palatable to R&D engineering teams. But that ended up leading to confusion because usually FMEAs are looking at products on a component by component level. From a human factors perspective, I'm always thinking about the task level as the component level. And the way we organize these documents is according to tasks. That way we know that we're conducting this analysis in a mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive manner. We don't want to skip over use problems and we don't want to repeat use problems in this catalog of all the potential human error that could occur with the device. So a lot of our time is spent preparing these in-depth use-related risk analysis and that becomes the cornerstone of our entire human factors program. It allows us to prioritize what issues to explore first and what issues are most important to evaluate in our usability testing. A couple of other activities that we perform are task analyses. We uh, prepare compliance documentation, human factors engineering plans and compliance with international standards. And we also uh, write submissions to the US Food and Drug Administration and work with them um, on any topics that they bring up in relation to human factors for a given submission. Finally, human factors has a very important place in post-market surveillance. Uh, and I think we're starting to see that 
emerge and become more and more important, especially as MDR is implemented in Europe, because now they're, they're basically requiring manufacturers to proactively reach out about use issues and design issues uh, on the market. Uh, we can no longer passively collect uh, post-market surveillance data. It's going to be a new paradigm, and I'm excited to see what happens. So, Shannon, while you were talking, you mentioned a few acronyms that some people listening might not quite know. So could you kind of explain, you talked about use FMEA. Could you explain what the acronym FMEA means? Definitely. So it's a failure modes and effects analysis, and this is a commonly used tool. It's been used for decades related to design, where you want to uncover all the ways that your product might fail. Uh, A huge focus has always been on the mechanical failures, electrical failures, and so on. And in the past decade, we've really started to focus on usability failure modes. So ways that users can use the product incorrectly, uh, leading to negative outcomes. Great. And another acronym you used when you were talking was MDR. Could you explain for those who might not know what MDR is? So that is the revamping of the medical device regulation in Europe. MDR is a term that can also be used for medical device reporting in the United States. So that is extra confusing for everyone. But in this context, I was talking about the overhaul of the European framework for the way they regulate medical devices. They just started implementing it uh, this year, and it's been a long time in the making. Thanks for that explanation. So what are ways and types that companies are going about completing human factors? I know that we are just relatively small consultancy in the grand scheme of things, but Could you kind of explain how a company like that's rather large, like Intuitive, might handle human factors versus a small company like um, any given startup in the Bay Area? Definitely. So back in my day, it was four of us at Intuitive and our our staff was augmented by contract staff. Uh, So we were a tight knit team conducting all of the human factors work internally. I think this is a great model for a company like that because you need such an in-depth amount of knowledge in order to conduct testing for surgical robotics. Uh, You know, they also augment their human factors team with consultants. Uh, So even established companies that are, you know, really thought leaders in human factors, Intuitive Surgical was doing human factors a lot earlier than many other companies. Uh, So even the premier companies for human factors programs uh, still augment their workforce with consultancies since it's sort of a boom and bust sort of a field where where the summative test, it's all hands on deck. Uh, in that case, you're going to be running studies that where the sessions could last eight hours each times, I don't know, 30 participants. So that's a pretty uh, resource intensive activity. But there are other companies where they do all human factors internally. And uh, at UserWise, we have a biased sample in that we work with companies that hire consultants. So uh, I guess I can't give a full perspective of what's happening in industry, but there are many different consultancies that are pretty busy. We've all been quite busy for many years now, uh, helping these companies to navigate the human factors process. And at UserWise, we do work with a ton of startups. Um, Many times these startups are venture-backed 
or something to that effect. And they have a team of as little as two to four individuals who are trying to navigate this product through regulatory hurdles. So they'll sort of outsource their whole human factors program and UserWise will take care of the whole human factors program. So there's a whole variety of different involvements um, that a consultancy or a human factors team could could have in navigating a product through the process. Yeah, that's great. And um, I know that based on my experience, I've really enjoyed the human factors work that I've gotten to do with some of the companies that are our clients. So Shannon, with that note, is there any sort of final takeaway that you'd like anyone listening to take away from this podcast? Certainly. The work we're doing here at UserWise is so important, and the work that human factors engineers everywhere in the medical device realm, so important. Uh, Every year in the United States, we have 210,000 preventable hospital deaths occurring in our country. When you compare that to the American Civil War, it's sort of on par with the number of uh, deaths that occurred throughout that entire war. So we are waging an entire American Civil War (laughs) related to human error here in the United States every year. And when I saw that number, I was astounded that this is related to preventable medical error and deaths. It's not talking about operating on the wrong limb. It's talking about deaths. So there's a lot of error happening in hospitals and in homes uh, that are leading to deaths. And by making medical devices, their instructions and training more usable and safe, we're going to combat that number and greatly reduce it. That's such a crazy thing to think about. However, I think that's all the time we have for today. I know I have some work that I need to be doing. Uh, So Shannon, (laughs) it's true. Shannon, if people wanted to find out more about human factors engineering or about UserWise in general, where could they go? Well, check out www.userwiseconsulting.com. We have a blog. Also, be sure to read the FDA guidance for human factors that was published in 2016 for a really great overview of human factors. Or reach out to us at userwise at userwiseconsulting.com to learn more about the human factors process. Great. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for your time today. Uh, and thank you to anyone out there listening. Make sure you tune into our podcast for another episode to be released soon. Have Bye. A day. <laughs> <laughs>